And so thinking about when you use words like crazy, strange, funny, odd, lazy, weird, to describe people that might be different to catch yourself, because that's when I think othering starts and really at a young age to help, which I'm trying to focus on with my children every day, especially as you brought up with uh, the killing of Dante Wright and so many things happening in our world, just to be really intentional about our language and to help them really celebrate cultures that it's all part of one culture. <laughs> not another culture, another culture, another culture. This is one community that we live in. Welcome to season three of Confident with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. This season, we're going to talk with some fierce, unapologetically ambitious women about what it means to be an inclusive leader. Are you ready? Episode one, Mita Malik talks hate. Mina Malik is a corporate change maker with a track record of transforming businesses and cultures. She's the head of inclusion, equity, and impact at Carta. Mina is a columnist for Sway, and her writing has been published in the Harvard Business Review, the New York Post, and Business Insider. Welcome to Confident, Mina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for today's conversation. And we're excited to have And we're you honored back. to have you back, Mita. Yeah. Actually, Olivia and I were just prepping for this interview and she was making fun of me because yeah. you came and spoke to Live Girl last year and there was there was so much that you said then that resonated with me and she says that she hears me repeating your voice like uh-huh. <laughs> often. Her so. favorite catchphrase is that we we love to build authentic bridges with people whose lives are different than her. I think I've heard her say that maybe. Oh, that's so kind. Can you tell that to my children? <laughs> listen to me. Listen, I can tell it to your children. I also have three teens that you can. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll do a swap. How about that? A swap for a day. So let's get started. We have so much to talk to you about. Um, can we just start and have you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became Mita Malik? So I'll start with, I'm the proud daughter of Indian immigrant parents. My younger brother and I were born and raised in the U.S. and we were uh, spent most of our time outside of Boston. Uh, fast forward many, many years later, I am talking to you from Jersey City, New Jersey, where I was keeping track of, I, a friend would text me and say, what's the timing? And I'd be like, it's day 32. I'd be like, it's day 15, week 32 of the pandemic. And now we know we're over a year, but... I'm a working mother. I have a partner who he's also working and very busy. And I have five-year-old Priya who's going on 15 and James (laughs) going on 18. And so that's a little bit about my personal life and my day job, of course, is working with Carta. And my journey to confidence has been a rocky one. It didn't happen overnight. And I think a lot of it has to do with just believing in myself and practicing using my voice. And there's so much I think about practicing being confident and believing in what you're doing, which I don't think a lot of people talk about the practice piece. Mm. And I want to get into a little bit of the growing up piece, because I know it's really informed you and your passion for diversity and inclusion. I've heard you talk before about how you were bullied growing up. Mm -hmm. Can you just share a little bit of that experience, not to get too personal, but just to, to, to the extent that that really informed who you are today? No, I'm actually happy to get personal with you because I think there's a lot of 
power in sharing stories. There's a lot of healing in telling stories. And why I tell my story now so openly is that I hope somebody's listening to this and decides they want to tell part of their story today and either ask for help or use it as a moment to heal. I was bullied a lot growing up and we've discussed the Sherry both uh, physically and verbally growing up. It went on for transformative years of my life. And it really escalated my freshman year in high school. I was taking an intro to physical science class and there were two white boys who had just picked me as the target for whatever reason. And I had hair down to my knees. And I remember I would always wear it in a braid. They would find me in the hallway and like yank it like I was a horse. Nay. Right. And everyone would be watching. And then one of them sat behind me in class. And so every time I'd pass back papers, he would hold my head back if I didn't pass the paper back fast enough. And I still remember like the teacher laughing and other kids laughing. Right. And so at some point you just think the sort of normal, like no one's really saying anything and you're just really embarrassed. And then the story that I've shared with both of you is that it was one day, one afternoon that they decided to set my hair on fire in lab class. And they were behind me and they were lighting matches and throwing them into my hair. And my lab partner who hadn't spoken to me in like the eight weeks was like, oh my God, your hair is on fire. And I talk about that pretty openly because what happened that day is really, it's still happening in the country and around the world. And many um, young girls and women and men are experiencing this, but it's also what's happening in our workplaces and workspaces. And so that day I was made to go to the principal's office with the two boys, like I had done something wrong, sitting with them outside the office, waiting to be called in. They were suspended for a day. My parents were never called. And so it, I felt like I took a lot of the blame. Like I felt that way for many years. And that was the moment that an ally really showed up for me. And that's, what's been a pivotal part of my journey. It was the guidance counselor who intervened and realized what my husband knows is that I am clumsy but I'm really fast. I'm fast, fast, fast. And so he was also the, the coach of the varsity girls, varsity cross country team and track team and just forced me to join. And it was the first time that sports was an equalizer. And I was, if not just, if not as fast, just as fast or more than the girls on that track. And they started to see me as equals. And so I share that really openly because there are many people that are unfortunately being bullied right now and many people being bullied in schools and in workplaces, workplaces. And I want to know what is everyone doing who's watching this happening? Mm -hmm. That's the real question that's on my mind. Yeah. I mean, I know like hearing your story and just looking at everything that's going on today with all the police brutality and the AAPI hate, it is like kind of heart-wrenching at times. And you do wonder like like, what are the bystanders doing? And so- I was really wondering, like, why do you think there is so much hate in our world today? And really, what can, you know, uh, the individuals do to counter it? Yeah, that's a great question. I really believe hate starts at our kitchen tables. Mm -hmm. And when I go back to those early experiences, it was like, I was the funny looking dark skinned girl with a funny looking long braid. And I brought in a funny smelling looking lunch and my parents spoke with funny accents and I can go on and on until it's not funny anymore. And that's when it slowly comes to bullying and to hate. And I believe it starts when you perceive something to be different about somebody, different, strange, awkward, and then you start to other them. 
And I think in some cases, hate becomes you've dehumanized, you've dehumanized the person. They're not a person anymore. And what I want to say to everyone listening to our conversation today is just to be really intentional about the language you're using with all of the young people in your life, because they are watching and listening all the time, whether you realize it or not. Words like crazy, strange, funny, odd, lazy, weird, to describe people that might be different to catch yourself, because that's when I think othering starts and really at a young age to help, which I'm trying to focus on with my children every day, especially as you brought up with uh, the killing of Dante Wright and so many things happening in our world, just to be really intentional about our language and to help them really celebrate cultures that it's all part of one culture, not another culture, another culture, another culture. This is one community that we live in. I want to stay with that a minute, the the idea of being intentional with your language, because it's so important. Um, What do you say to someone who says, well, like, I am who I am, and like, I don't need this political correctness. I don't need, you know, the cancel culture. Like, you know, what do you say say to that person with a megaphone who is saying, you know, I I need to speak my truth and my, you know, my language is my language. Well, I'll start by saying, I don't believe in cancel culture because I wouldn't want to be canceled. And I think the hard part of this work is you have to be on a path of forgiveness and grace, which I've been on my entire life to think about those experiences that happened to me early on. I do think that there are times where people go a bridge too far or really um, hurt people in ways that people have to cancel them. Like it's just, it's gone too far. But I think with language, there's a lot of opportunity to learn and grow. And so the difficult part about the Sherry is you have to meet people where they are and try to help and coach them. And that's what I do in my job every day, all day. And that's my life's work. And so that is, you just have to keep trying and keep trying to reach people. And such important life's work because the bullies that you described back in middle school and high school don't magically disappear in the workplace. Well, it followed me right into work. (laughs) You didn't, I never like, I would tell you college, grad school, didn't prepare me for any of that, of what it would be like to be a woman of color trying to build a career in corporate America. They don't teach that class yet. And I know one of the things you do, and I I so deeply admire you for it, is you provide so much thought leadership around the topic of diversity and inclusion. And one of the ways you do that is by highlighting best practices, either where companies are doing it really well or where they're not and and calling them out. and can you just talk about that and like how we can learn from those examples and, and what you see, I guess, currently today, companies doing well and where they need to do better? Progress is slow and I know we're all really impatient and it's a journey. Diversity, equity, inclusion, it's learning a language. It's about what you do every day that causes a ripple effect. Imagine if we all thought about how we showed up today in this conversation tonight at the dinner table, tomorrow at work. And if we just thought about that and the positive impact we could have. And so I think about companies that way too. Companies are people, we make up the companies. Mm -hmm. And so it's really easy to say, I'm gonna stop buying this or I'm going to boycott this. But some of the, I think, really interesting examples have been Sephora, who you know, probably in the last year, two years have been accused of having customers having racist interactions, experiences, 
And I think they've come a long way with the report they've put out, some of the commitments they've had around uh, the 15% pledge and talking about how specifically they are going to support and amplify the voices of black and brown owned businesses. And, and those things, yes, I can be cynical. They don't happen overnight though. You have to start somewhere. Target as well came up really recently with a really big commitment around what they're gonna be doing to support, celebrate, work with, serve the black and brown communities. And so I think there's you know, lots of great examples out there. It's interesting. I recently posted something about Lululemon who is really trying to break the mold of what a runner's body looks like, right? So much stereotypes of what we think about who a runner is and what they should look like. And they're really trying to break that stereotype and look at inclusive sizing. And it was interesting, I posted this on LinkedIn and there were some comments and they're not wrong, but have you, did you see what they did a few years back? Did you, did you see, you know, some of their imagery and where they've been? And I'm like, yeah, that's where they've been. And this is where they're going. And I would want someone to give me that support as an individual. And so that's what I look at from the brand perspective. And okay, so if you messed up, what are you doing? How are you apologizing appropriately with intention and action? Just like I, you would want from me, Sherry, if I upset you, you'd want a genuine apology. You want to be like, Nita, what are you going to do? Like, right. show me, prove to me that you can rebuild this relationship. I think it's the same with, with companies and brands. Yeah, that's so true. And that also kind of goes back to um, what we were talking before about having these conversations um, and really um, having tough conversations and, you know, having the conversations that may make you uncomfortable and I know that sometimes it is hard to lean into that, you know, uncomfortableness. Um, so what advice would you have, you know, for me as a high school student or for just um, anyone in general on having these conversations on race, on equity, on inclusion, on really any of these topics? I think that's a great question. And really it's practice and keep trying. I think the conclusion I've come to is why these conversations are so uncomfortable is because let's say I come to you and I want to share with you a racist experience I've had. Your job in that moment as an ally for me is to honor the space, to believe my truth, to not become an investigative journalist, to not all of a sudden insert the things that you have had happen in your life and not to dismiss it and say, oh, Mita, that didn't really happen. And what's gonna happen at the end of that is it's uncomfortable because there's no closure. And many of us, I would say from, I'll say personally speaking, having been raised in corporate America, there is this problem solve, problem solve, action oriented, type A personalities get ahead. And so you enter these conversations, like you're thinking, okay, I have to solve something for Mita and you're not going to solve systemic racism. But what you are going to do is you're going to build a trusting relationship with me and ask me what you can do to support me in that moment, and then also continue to educate yourself and show up for me and my community when it matters. Mm, that's such that's good, advice. Really good advice. Yeah. Another piece of advice we always give to the women in our community is to be curious about other people yes. and, and to ask lots of questions and be curious and to learn, to be open to learning, but also unlearning, maybe something yeah. you've been told before that's not quite right. Um, and so 
I, I think um, you talked about practicing too, and it's like any other skill you have to, you have to practice this and just be critically self-aware of everything you're doing and saying and questioning what you're doing and saying. Um, so it's, it's so important. I, I wanted to ask you, Mita, about, was there a moment between that bullying incident in high school and now where you, were you, how did you, was there a moment where you found your voice? And so now you've, you've developed into this incredible thought leader and such a provocative and, and compelling thought leader on the topic of diversity and inclusion. And you, and you're writing a lot and you're being published everywhere. Um, how did you find that confidence to, to, how did you discover that the power of your voice? I think it happens over time. I don't think it happens overnight, but it's with practice. My husband will tell you many nights where he can remembers hearing me practicing in an empty room, a presentation or in the shower or driving to work, like constantly just practicing before meetings or even before joining our time together, just taking a moment. I still get nervous. We all do just taking a moment to review, like, what do we want to talk about? And even more than that, like, how do I want to show up for you? and being intentional in this conversation. So all of those things are practice. I think that there's nothing like life-changing experiences to have you start thinking about what you want your legacy and impact to be in the world. For me, that was having my son and my daughter and then also losing my dad really suddenly in 2017, right? And something like that, when you go through loss and grief, and so many of us have been through that, especially in this last year with the pandemic and are still going through that, you start to just realize life is really short. And so what, what am I scared of? Or what is holding me back from stopping myself from just being the best version of myself? And so I do think those moments really just continue to push me forward in finding that's, a voice. That's amazing. And yeah. I would say, Liv, one thing I'm so amazed by Gen Z, you and all your fellow, fellow Gen Zers, um, you're not, a, you, you have found your voice collectively yeah. and you use social media yeah. to amplify um, what you're, what you care about, which I, can you just talk to that? Like in, in encouraging other young women to do the same? Yeah. I mean, definitely. I think it, it goes back to, I mean, uh, you know, on Instagram, you know, it, like social media, obviously it can be like a toxic place, but then there are also so many amazing things um, that people in my generation are doing with Instagram mm -hmm. from people with huge platforms like um, Greta um, Thunberg um, with climate change and everything to people, you know, who just in my grade who post things, you know, that's, it's not performative activism and they're actually, you know, raising awareness for things and they're starting uh, donations and everything like that. And I think it is really important to harness the power of your voice. And it definitely is difficult. Um, and I mean, I think it's a process for everyone. But to put yourself yeah, out there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but I think that it is something that our generation really right. highlights and is really working towards. Because you do feel vulnerable yeah. at first. One yeah. of those, when you first start sharing your voice, it feels like a very vulnerable place to be, right? Mm -hmm. And suddenly you're subjecting yourself to criticism mm -hmm. for your yeah. opinions. Yeah. Um, it, and that's yeah. where the practice that Mita's <laughs> talking about comes yeah, in. definitely. And just having a strong community of people who, who know you and love you and believe in you, who will support you because there will always be haters. The reason why I love LinkedIn so much, I think it's a platform of generosity as one of my friends says, it's a very supportive community when you're posting on there. And just, you know, to remember that not everyone's going to agree with what you think, and that's okay, as long as you're being true right. to yourself, authentic. Right. 
So Mina, who has mentored you? Who are your mentors and role models? I think that's really changed in the pandemic. I'm going to say it's my children. <laughs> and I would not have, I might have, and, and listen, it's still my father, my mother, my brother, my husband. I have a list of people in my life, but to, to be quarantined mm. for over a year in a tight nuclear family of four and to see my children through a different lens and spending so much time with them, which I think has really been the gift of the pandemic and watching them grow. And when they're so young, you actually see things through fresh eyes. Like, mommy, why are people treated differently because they have darker skin? You're like, oh, you know, all these kind of questions, especially in what's happening in our world that you have the time to unpack. And so I think seeing things through a different lens has, has changed me in a lot of ways. I think it's changed all of us. That's a lovely That's sentiment. A, if anyone ever asks you who inspires you, <laughs> her mom, you better say me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> we'll make yeah, sure you set the bar high. Yeah, we'll now. make sure we send this replay to your kids. Yeah. May, may I ask what we talked earlier about hate and all the hate that's in this world right now, um, and why, and that that being the reason why inclusive leadership is more important than ever. Um, can you talk as a parent about your thoughts with your kids and? the hate that they may face, whether it be in school or on the street and how, as a parent, do you prepare for that? And how do you prepare them? Oh gosh, it's so hard. It's actually harder to talk about my bullying stories now as they get older, because I actually think, what if that happened to my kids? Suddenly it's like, not even about me and what I endured, but imagining that happening to them is really difficult. Again, practicing kindness and empathy and really helping them when they're like, and kids do this, making fun of somebody or saying something, someone did something funny and you're like, well, okay, but why is that funny? Like, what's so funny about it, right? And helping them see that. Uh, CNN has been amazing. They've done so many great town halls with Sesame Street that we've been watching, whether that's like, let's talk about race or let's talk about the pandemic. And so I'm always looking for materials to teach my children. I wanted to give a shout out to Encantos and my friend, Stephen Wolf Piera, who's one of uh, the co-founders of that. And they are an award-winning ed technology company that's really giving children 21st century skills through storytelling. And they just have amazing materials and books. One of their brands is Tiny Travelers. And so you're really helping your children become citizens of the world without othering and really learning about India, Japan, and all these different amazing places and spaces, which we can't go to during the pandemic, (laughs) we certainly can learn about them and that those cultures can be part of our culture too. And so those are the things I'm, I'm really focused on. Yeah. I think it is so amazing because we do talk about how much hate that there is, and there is so much, you can see it whenever you turn on the news, but there are also amazing mothers like you and like my mom who, you know, you are working to change this language and you see um, this like inclusive leadership uh, when it comes to with the stop AAPI hate and um, the Black Lives Matter movement. There's been a lot of intersectionality between those two movements from, I mean, minorities who, you know, aren't in the same group. So why is inclusive, this inclusive leadership so important? And what are the key traits of an inclusive leader? I mean, again, it starts with empathy. So you can 
try to start to understand an experience that's not your own. That's like the really important piece. How can I be an ally? How can I show up or understand what the Black community is going through now if I'm not empathetic and willing to learn and listen? I think that's so important. And so inclusive leadership, one of the things we're focused on at Carta because inclusive leadership can be very academic or theoretical. Like I'm gonna be an inclusive leader today. Like what does that actually mean? And we've actually defined it. And we talk about the three A's and we talk about amplifying voices. So think about who gets invited to a meeting or why you all are amplifying my voice today and my story and I'm so appreciative. So thinking about amplification, advocating, who do you talk about when the doors are closed? Like who, whose name is coming up? Whose career are you advocating for? And then access, access to opportunities. Maybe you, I've had, really lucky to have career sponsors in my life who have put my name on the slate for jobs that I didn't even know existed, or I'm on a journey right now to find a board seat and I've had people put my name up. So that's really uh, impactful. So thinking about it in sort of those three ways, like it has to be concrete. And I say to people, just do one thing. (laughs) You don't have to do like 10 things to be a more inclusive leader, but really it's about, again, I say like, if I think about how I show up at Carta every single day, that has a ripple effect on the company. And if we each did that, that's amazing. And even in this time, just to say, like we started off our conversation as we were doing tech, I was like, oh God, my kids are gonna come in. And just even setting the tone to say, like there are other things on my mind. And I think we should do, we need to do that at work too, because it's okay if we snap at each other or if we get angry. I think the important thing is to be like, hey, I'm really struggling today. And I just wanted to let you know that in case you think that something you're saying is what's triggering me. It's not. I just had a really huge fight with my husband and I showed up to this meeting, right? I mean, that's also part of being an inclusive leader is you have to have trust in psychologically safe spaces because if I'm not willing to share about myself and my life, how can I expect you to share? Like, why would you share anything? Right. I think that's a brilliant 3A formula. Um, But you taught me a fourth A, which is authentic bridges. We were laughing (laughs) about it earlier. But it's so important building authentic bridges to people whose lives are different than your own because we know that 75% of white people don't have any diverse people in their, in their social network. And I know Olivia and I lit, come from a very mostly white town and it, t- and it takes work. And, but I think that's so important to developing the empathy to truly yeah, understanding other people's lives um, to be able to action, you know, the inclusive leadership. And you, t- you, you've taught. <laughs> oh, thank you. You know, it's interesting, even as I have, as we remember George Floyd and on May 25th, as the remembrance is coming up, so many white leaders in my time working them, working with them saying, Black Lives Matter, what can I be doing? How can I show up? And the first thing I'll do is pull up your Instagram feed if you're a brand marketer and say, well, let's start with the business piece, which is you are not working with any Black influencers and I don't see anybody, any person of color. I'm not seeing that in what you're putting out from a brand perspective. But I also would say, as we've talked about is who are those, the five most important people you talk to in your mm-hmm. life outside right. of your family. And if they all look like you and act like you, you're self-segregating. And right. you can say that you want to be an ally for a community. Let's say I want to be an ally for the black community, but if I don't know a single black person in my life, that's what, what you're saying. It's the work starts at, at home. Right. 
in your right. community. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. At the kitchen table, as yeah. you said. At the kitchen table, yes. Um, so just in closing, Nita, because um, we could talk to you all day, but yeah. what's the one piece of advice that you wish someone would have told you in as a teen? Um, so what advice would you give to the young women listening today? Uh, you'll get through those dark moments and it's going to make you stronger as a result. And it's going to be okay. That's that's honestly the perfect advice. We all need to hear that yeah, right now too. Yeah. Coming, coming yeah. through. I can tell you, I wish my 15 year old self had you. Now I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> Well, Mita Malik, you are incredible and you are such a fierce role model. I hope I want you to know that the girls talk about you more than you know, and you've made such a large impact on their lives to have you to look up to. And and you are, you know, you're I love how you're you're breaking barriers, but you're making sure that you're bringing the chairs for more women to come along with you. So thank you for that. Thank you for everything you're both doing. It's really incredible. Thank you.